Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, where each Tuesday, your host, Rick Says, gathers around the mic with outdoor industry entrepreneurs, brand leaders, founders, and enthusiasts to share stories from the backcountry, the startup files, and the retail aisles. Rick's guests offer actionable advice to land your ideal industry gig, grow your outdoor career, or plan your next big adventure. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And now, here's Rick. Welcome to episode 382 of the Outdoor Biz Podcast, brought to you this week by The Big Gear Show. I began looking forward to this conversation as soon as it dropped on my calendar. Stephen Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully, is an entrepreneur and experienced chief executive with a long professional tenure in the outdoor, snow sports, and fly fishing markets. Sully has given us two brands that design and manufacture some of the highest quality and beautifully made outdoor apparel in the biz. First Cloudvale, and now Steel. An active skier, angler, cyclist, trail runner, rancher, apparel guy, and youth sports transportation professional, he gets after it every day. Hey, Sully, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm uh, psyched to be here, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to uh, catch up with you after quite a few years. I've been admiring your products over the years, and you guys have always been doing great things. What was your first exposure to the outdoors? How'd you get into the whole outdoor thing? Well, um, I moved, um, my family is largely from the Midwest and I, I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan when I was a kid and my uncle, my, my mom's brother, um, went to the university of Michigan law school and he, he decided to pack it up and move out to Aspen to be the first, uh, ski bum attorney. <laughs> and, uh, this was in the seventies mm-hmm. and the mid seventies and my mom, um, and her sisters, we all went out there at one point uh, to visit. And my uncle had since kind of started getting a lot of work down in Grand Junction and opened an office there. And my mom applied um, for a job um, as a professor at the local college. And out of six or 700 people or some crazy number, wow. she ended up getting the job. And, um, and we packed our stuff up and moved to Colorado. And I, I had been a big hockey and soccer player when I was a kid, and, and there was no hockey <laughs> in in Grand Junction, which I never let my mom live down. But <laughs> and and since both my boys are, are hockey players, and I ended up coaching them later in life. But I uh, I got into skiing, and so you know I think skiing was probably my first real um, kind of entry into the outdoor community and the mm. world. And and my uncle was also a really avid backpacker and kind of a nascent climber. He liked to climb, you know, walk up 14ers. And, Mm -hmm. and so we started going on some family trips, um, doing backpacking trips. And, and I ended up uh, really falling in love with it and ended up doing some 14ers with him over the years. And he taught me how to fly fish. And so he was a big catalyst for me getting, getting into the outdoors and, and kind of germinating, I guess, that, that love of being outside. Right, that's awesome. Was he also into the whole conservation side of it? Um, yeah, yes, I, I guess I would say he was. You know, we were practicing what I guess would be called leave no trace. You know, we packed out all our stuff and and or burned it at the campfire or whatever. We were, you know, he was he was thoughtful about that, but right, this was in the seventies. It wasn't quite as uh, I guess prevalent of a topic as it is today, but yeah. like he was a was a fan of, you know, taking 
your trash out and leaving the wilderness, you know, in its pristine state. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, our grandfathers and fathers and stuff were that way, but it wasn't as important. You're right, because there weren't as many people, and, you know, it was, uh, we had the place to ourselves back then, but now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got to be careful. Totally. Yeah. Um, and how about your beginnings in the outdoor business or the outdoor industry side of things? Where'd that start? That's a, actually a little tied to my Uncle Joe as well. So his girlfriend at the time, uh, whose name was Betsy Clark, she she opened I, what has got to be one of the first true outdoor specialty stores in the country. I mean, there there might have been, you know, 50 or 100 of them at the time. But she opened a store called Lewis and Clark in Grand Junction. Oh, yeah. With it. That was mainly focused on um, it was mainly focused on cross country skiing, a little bit on the telemark side when telemark was kind of in its infancy in in the states and um, and backpacking and hiking and and when I was twelve, I got a job in the back room. I, I was I've always been a pretty handy kid. Um, it was a you know understood kind of how to put stuff together and. So I got a job actually mounting cross country skis for her, which lended, uh, led to me going out on the sales floor. And, and I worked there all through kind of junior high and high school, um, part time. And that was, that was kind of my, what I guess got my, my love of being in kind of the retail game going, mm -hmm. um, in my, my early years. And that probably exposed you to reps and, and all the different, obviously all the different products, right? Yeah, totally. Like I, you know, she was, she was very gracious and let me sit in on, you know, when any of the reps came calling with their sales samples and, and, and actually down to the level that I actually picked some winning styles for the year. Yeah, here and there. Cool. Um, and so that, yeah, that was a really, I think, good introduction to how the whole system of outdoor retail worked. Right. Right. And those reps that came through, they're probably the same that, these days, but they were just, they were like celebrities and they were very, not only very good at what they did on the sales side, but a little bit of a entertainment with, came along with it. Right. They were fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and another cool thing about Grand Junction is um, it's where Marmot was founded. And, and so I actually knew Eric Reynolds, the founder of Marmot okay. um, way back, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, and I would also go over to their factory store and check out, you know, they were principally just making sleeping bags and down jackets at the time. And so I used to go hang out over there now and then. And um, so it was cool because Grand Junction not only had, you know, was a Grand Junction is a cool community because you're right on the kind of cusp of the desert with Moab only being an hour or so away. And then, and then the Grand Mesa was kind of the, entree to the Rocky mountains on the other side of the valley. So it's, it was a really interesting place to be because there was kind of both the best of the desert and the mountains. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that, and, and we did a lot of, you know, backpacking and hiking in and around Canyonlands and arches. And when I was a kid and I mean, I remember Moab when, you know, I mean, you could drive main street in, in 30 seconds. Right. Um, right. Not see another so, car. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Now I was, I used to go there and take a lot of photos and stuff. And I was, it'd been about 10 years since I'd been and I went back and man, I was just gobsmacked. It's just, it blew up. It's amazing. To oh me. yeah. It really, it's really turned into a fairly big community. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. So we first connected when you launched Cloudville. I think it was at Eagle Creek at the time. That was a great run. What, what was the inspiration for Cloudville? How'd that come about? Um, 
the real inspiration behind that was I had a friend who is still a guide, um, is an IFMGA guide who uh, had gone over to live in Chamonix for a winter um, in the early 90s. And he came back and brought me a pair of pants that were made of a uh, shoulder material, um, what's now kind of known as soft shell. And I just, I, I really felt like nobody, I, I, lo- I wore the pants and uh, for a year and I just became obsessed with them and, you know, ended up like backcountry skiing in them and, and just really thought that the textile wasn't being utilized in the, in the current market. And so the idea that kind of got Cloudville started was to build a soft shell jacket. And I, I somehow, and I don't even remember how we did this back in the day, Rick, I, you know, <laughs> we didn't have cell phones and right. uh, the, the internet was, you know, AOL, you've got mail. Um, <laughs> That's right. And, you know, it took half an hour for a site to load. And, but somehow I found the guys at Scholler um, and Tom Weinbender, who was the president of Scholler North America for a long time, who's still a, a dear friend. And, um, he sent me five yards of fabric and I made a jacket, um, with a local seamstress. And I got another buddy in here in Jackson, a guy named Brian Cousins, um, inspired about the concept as well. And we just decided to give it a go. We cashed out a couple of 401ks and <laughs> we put a little, a little product line together. And we quite frankly had absolutely no idea what we were doing. Um, except that we both had strong tenures in the outdoor retail side. Mm-hmm. So we kind of knew what, what it looked like to put a line together and how to merchandise that, you know, all the little bits and parts you needed, like, you know, how to hang tag appropriately and make right. sure your product was presented well. And um, we put together a little line and built a homemade booth in my, uh, <laughs> my buddy Tim, Tim Bachman's backyard in Fort Collins and put it in a U-Haul and went to the trade show. Wow. Amazing. And you guys hit, I, th- I remember hit you when you hit that show, that was, you guys were the big noise that, that year. Your product was, were, is, was beautiful, is beautiful to this day. Where did the, where did that design and, and all that ethos come from? I mean, you know, it was beautiful stuff, quality stuff. Did, that um, comes from when you were tinkering around as a kid or I don't know. I, you know, I don't, people have asked me that before and I don't, I, I don't know exactly where it comes from other than I'm a, I'm a fairly creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up in a fairly creative household environment. My mother was a speech and theater professor. And so I really grew up in the theater. Mm. Um, you know, she directed a couple plays every year and, and I, I was always really intrigued. I remember back to being really intrigued with costume design and how they had to, you know, they had all these different kinds of plays, right? There'd right. be period pieces like some Tennessee Williams, Night of the Iguana, or, and then there would be more modern pieces. And so I, I remember that I did, I was intrigued by them putting together these outfits. Um, but, and then I, I think I, I just kind of inherently have a, a pretty strong aesthetic and, mm-hmm. and, and real, and I also wasn't, I think very importantly, a very active end user of the product I was making. So I was a, a backcountry skier, a climber, an ice climber, a cyclist, um, a fly fisherman. And, and so I had spent my whole life doing those activities, um, from the time I was 10 until about the time I was, I guess, 29 or 30 when I started Cloudvale. And so I, I just inherently kind of had a feeling for how this stuff should be put together. And 
and understood fit and how important fit was and to, to the performance of a garment. So I, I don't know how, I don't know what the secret sauce was. Other than <laughs> right, it just, right. just kind of all, all seemed to coalesce for me in building apparel. It's probably the combination of all of it got, you know, came together in the stew, so to speak. And, you know, it evolved. Where, where did the entrepreneurial side come from? How did you know you wanted to get in and make your own thing and, you know, hang um, a shingle? I, I guess I'd always wanted to work for myself and I'm a, I'm a very independent person and independent thinker. Um, I think I get a lot of it from just being, I've always been super inquisitive hmm. and I, and I always go all in on learning new things. So whether that's like the ultimate way to tune a ski, which I've become super proficient at because my kids were all ski racers and I spent a lot of time <laughs> tuning, right. um, or, or, you know, or make my bike work really well or, or how to outfit my sprinter van or whatever. I just constantly love learning and kind of challenging myself. And so, so starting a company didn't, it felt really natural to me. It, it, it was, um, and, and, and I'm also inherently a kind of a risk taker. And so I didn't, I, I guess I wasn't worried about failing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more focused on succeeding. And so I think that, and I think the other thing I really like about the entrepreneurial life is, you know, even after doing this for over 25 years now, uh, I literally walk in the office door every day and I learn something new every day. Mm, yeah. um, whether that's how to, how to solve a problem, whether that be, a, you know, a finance problem or a budgeting problem all the way down to the more creative stuff in our business, like a marketing strategy or a, or a product um, right. challenge. And, and I think we've spent a lot of time really encouraging our employees to all think and act like entrepreneurs as well. Like that's one of the, I, I do a little um, coffee talk for all our new employees and I do it each month. Sometimes we have new employees, sometimes we don't, but I, you know, scheduled each month. And, and I always men- mentioned that like my goal is that everybody thinks like an entrepreneur because I think it leads to, to more ideas and, and kind of more facilitation of, of the creative process. Yeah, I think you're right. It definitely drives the creativity. And also it drives the camaraderie, doesn't it, and the teamwork? Because everybody's kind of comes to the table with their own ideas and you bat the ideas around. And some never see the light of day, but I'm sure a lot of them do live to, you know, get implemented. They do. And, and you know, especially on the product side, we, we spend a lot of time soliciting feedback from our employees on their current products that they're, they're using and as well as kind of what they'd like to see in the line. And, and I think that's a really cool thing for somebody, you know, and we're, we're not a very hierarchical kind of business. I mean, we have a typical kind of hierarchy sure. in the structure, with, right? Yeah. You know, with structure, but, but I I'll take the opinion of any customer service agent every day, just as well, as well as I would our president and COO. So, it, you know, it, to me, I, I think good ideas can come from anybody, um, and and so I think that's that's something we continue to do to this day is is really push everybody to think outside the box and try to creative problem solve and whether that's whatever part of the business they're in. Right, right. That's great. And now you do launch Steel. What inspired Steel? Again, another beautiful product line. I think that, well, two things I, you know, Cloudvale didn't end particularly well. Um, I, um, I tried to, uh, we had been bought and sold a couple of times and we were owned by spider, the ski wear brand at the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they, um, 
they eventually approached me with the opportunity to try to buy the brand back. And, and I had a really strong financial partner and we, we tried to do that for, we spent about seven months trying to come to a, terms on a deal and, and literally basically got left at, at the altar on a oh, deal. And, and I had a non-compete for about a year and a half um, that was thankfully paid. And so I had some time to really stew on kind of what had gone well with Cloudvale and what hadn't gone well and, and what I wanted to do differently. And there were two things that really stuck out to me. The, the first thing was Cloudvale was a very top of the mountain brand. It was all about kind of really technical outerwear was kind of the forte. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really wanted to build a brand that covered kind of more the totality of the mountain life. And so not, not just top of the mountain stuff, but everything you could wear as we, as we kind of term it in here all the way down to the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And because you, you spend a lot of time in your, in your, in the outdoor sportswear you wear on a daily basis and, and probably a little less time um, in the backcountry. And so it just felt to me like, trying to find that balance that really just showed off the totality of the mountain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That was important. And then the second thing that was a real catalyst for me was as Cloudville grew, we we found that the retailers started just segmenting us like they did anybody else. And they would say, okay, well, here's the allocation of dollars we have for your hard shell, your soft shell, your fleece, your base layer, whatever it might be. And we we were developing, developing some pretty cool creative product at Cloudville. Um, yeah, some, some, some wacky stuff that I had designed, or we had, we had some pretty talented designers and, and cutting edge at the time too. Yeah. And, and the retailers weren't really buying it. They Mm. were, they were buying the more standard issue stuff. Mm. And, but we opened a retail store in the last couple of years, we had Cloudvale and we had a very small direct business and those channels were buying the more creative product. Mm. So, I really felt like there was this opportunity to to be more creative, to to maybe bring a little more of a dose of fashion, um, a fashion element into the line, and and to still make you know beautiful technical outerwear, but also you know make a beautiful sportswear collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the the other thing that really re- was resonating with me was that I felt like there was a hole by. Uh, in the market that nobody was purely focusing on the direct consumer channel. And, and although we're, we're fairly omni-channel now, we, we, at the time when we launched the business, we basically put a catalog in the mail, turned our website on and we opened a retail store all in the same month. <laughs> and, and we focused specifically on that direct consumer channel to start. And, um, and it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and the, again, I think it's the product line is just you know so well crafted and so you know clean looking lines. I think that that's appealing to it's appealing to me. I'm sure it's appealing to a lot. Maybe it's more of the designer in me that likes that, but it's uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 been super fun, and, and we, we we do have some things that we really feel like our hallmarks of our line. You know, we focus on really clean, clear color. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we do focus on making things simply beautiful, not not right. always, um, not overtaking stuff just for the sake of overtaking it, but but making stuff just truly functional, kind of functional beauty. Yeah, and clean. It's there's not a lot of stuff hanging off or stuff to deal with. It's just simple. It all works. Yeah. Yeah. 
So after your experience with Cloudvale, what components of business and leadership have you carried over to Steel? Well, um, a lot. I bet. I'll <laughs> I, uh, bet all of them. Maybe <laughs> it, was, it was. It was. A, yeah, a little different in in the respect that I didn't have a business partner when I started Steel. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went it alone. I guess the biggest difference was I was my second rodeo and I had some street cred. So I actually went out and raised a, a reasonable amount of startup capital to get a ways down the road and really prove the concept. So, um, but even that being said, you know, I had some, I had some of that in my back pocket going into the, into starting it. And I still spent a tremendous amount of time, um, about six months putting together the business plan and strategy and, and the go-to-market kind of uh, product plan. And, and I, I, basically, I think that the one thing that was really beneficial from the Cloudbell days, I already had the creative side. I, I right. have a pretty strong aesthetic, like I mentioned. So I felt really comfortable with kind of the marketing and product side. But I, I was really fortunate um, that in the Cloudbell days, I had a, a wonderful business partner, Brian Cousins, who who really taught me a ton about ops and finance. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was probably, uh, that was, a, those were some really good lessons. Um, and, you know, especially because you find that a lot of, a lot of founders tend to be more of that creative visionary type, but they don't have that operational side. Yeah. And, and I knew from Cloudville and I knew from my history that I really needed to, to build a strong operational infrastructure if I was going to have a successful business, and especially in the direct business, because it's a highly analytically driven um, business. I mean, we have 12 or 14 analysts on our team today. I, I can't remember between finance planning and, and marketing, but bet, yeah. it's around, it's around there. And, and, and so being so analytical and also using other people's money and capital to, to put to work, you know, I wanted to run a real responsible operational show and financial show. And so spent a lot of time thinking through that and getting that right and getting the right people on board for that side of the business. Is there anything you purposely left behind? Okay. We're not going to do that. <laughs> um, sure. Um, I think the biggest thing I left behind was being a hundred percent focused on the wholesale channel, mm. um, mm-hmm. which, which I had done before. And, nothing against that channel because I have, you know, we now sell to about a hundred accounts um, in the United States. And, and uh, some of those folks are among my close friends mm-hmm, yeah. um, and, and some of them run wonderful businesses, but the 80, 20 rule as it does in a lot of things really applied to that, that market, you know, where 20% of the retailers were really the ones you wanted to be with and the other 80%, um, you know, just didn't have it quite as figured out. And mm-hmm. so I think abandoning that dependence on the wholesale channel has allowed for a lot of freedom as we have started to move into it now mm, um, because we're, we're not over leveraged by some large account that, you know, whose merchandising plans can, can swing like a, you know, a tree in the right, breeze right, right. Um, as I'm sure you, you are aware of. And, and so, now going into the wholesale channel, it feels like we can be a lot more thoughtful and purposeful and pick our partners and, and be sure to do it um, in, a, in a great way. And, and we found some amazing partners that have become, you know, really good, really good ambassadors for the brand and are, yeah. and are selling a lot of our products. 
Yeah, there's some really good retailers out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And is it on the production side, if you, you know, you have to, you know, you go to a factory and you have a, a minimum and you have to make this, you have to buy this much fabric and stuff. And, and I think on the wholesale side, there's not as many opportunities to get rid of that big number of, you know, however many hundreds of jackets is it, it is. Whereas if you have wholesale and direct to consumer both, it might be a little safer or easier to move that inventory. Do I have that? Um, I, I think the, the direct consumer business is a little more terrifying in the respect that you're, you're buying inventory without any purchase orders. <laughs> right. And, right. and so you're, you're basically forecasting it all. Yeah. And so in the, in the early days and, and to this day, we've been incredibly diligent about our inventory management. We, we don't end up moving a lot of stuff to off price channels. Mm, that's um, good. Yeah. That's smart. And, and that's kept the, I think the brand propped up, you know, because if you start, if you start selling a lot of stuff to discount channels, it can kind of change your MO with the consumer. Yeah. But, and although we, we do some work with um, some of the better folks like Sierra trading post and, and some of the better um, distributors out there, mm-hmm. when we do have to move, move some product, we've just been extremely tight and and because the business is so analytically driven, we have a really good handle on what sells and what doesn't and what categories are are really good for us and where we can expand. And, and that's, that's been one of the most rewarding things about the direct consumer business is the feedback loop is so much quicker than it is with wholesale. Right. Um, you know, we basically put a product on the market and, and if it's a new product, we know in 30 to 45 days, if it's a, a winner, um, if it's a merchandise player, or if it just didn't strike a chord. And when it doesn't strike a chord, we move on. If it's a merchandise player, it usually kind of lives and maybe expands a little. And then if it's a winner, you know, that's usually something we might expand upon and create a collection around. So it's that's kind of one of the most rewarding things is that getting that feedback from consumers as opposed to your your sales force right. like your sales reps and then your your retailers be, you know having those two middle pieces before you get to the consumer um and it's it's led to I, I mean i think we could be quite a bit larger company if we had really pushed on the inventory side more but but we're very cautious about it and very cautious about keeping our brand in a in a very high-end space yeah no, that's smart yeah you guys are doing a good job of that too and I love the story behind your logo. Share a little bit about that with us. Um, so our logo is is a is a white bark pine cone. Um, it's a modern abstraction of a white bark pine cone. And we we were going through a, an initial study. We brought in some folks to help us kind of build kind of the the Steo ecosystem in its infancy and and around our our value set and the value set that we wanted the brand to espouse. And we went through a lot of different logo concepts and a, and a woman that had worked for us um, at the time, his name was Candace Worthen. She's, she's married now. So I don't know if that's her last name anymore. I haven't talked to her in quite a while, but mm-hmm. she, um, I think she was the first one that said, you know, what about a, what about a pine cone? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought, Oh, that's a cool idea. And then we got some, some graphic samples of that. And then I said, you know, I think it really needs to be more of a modern abstraction of a pine cone because it, I want the brand to feel modern, mm-hmm. and, 
But the whole concept was that we wanted something that really grounded us in kind of the place we're in, which is the Yellowstone ecosystem. And we wanted something that reflected nature. And it turns out that the pine cone is a fascinating thing. Um, I, I mean, I, shortly after we launched the brand, I, I, I went on a family trip to Italy and, and, and you can't believe where the pine cone shows up. It's on like, it's on the staff of the Pope. Um, oh, I didn't know, you know that. It's, wow. Huh. Yeah, it's got all these incredible meanings. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I think that that was just serendipitous um, that we, we came up with that logo. Um, but we really wanted it to reflect back on, you know, the plight of the white bark pine in the Yellowstone ecosystem and around the Intermountain West. And 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 so that that's kind of the story there. It's perfect for you guys because of the location. And you're right, the pine cones, I taught at a sixth grade camp on Palomar Mountain for, gosh, uh, after college and through my last years of college. And we were always talking about pine cones and, you know, what they do for the environment, right? Not only the nature there, but it's just fascinating. And yeah, I've, they are. I have a lot of I have a lot of pine cones. <laughs> I, can ima- I can imagine you have quite the collection. Yeah, yeah. Hey, the Big Gear Show invites you to join them for a festival of the great outdoors at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver from June eighth through June eleventh. Reinventing the outdoor industry show experience, the Big Gear Show offers an inclusive outdoor industry event for everyone who enjoys the outdoors. And new this year, the public is also invited to participate. All four days will include exhibitors, an education program, and a dedicated experiential area where attendees can observe product demonstrations and test gear. With an emphasis on discovering new brands, this year's event begins with a two-day trade show for specialty retailers and media to meet with exhibitors for a first-in-the-country look at next year's outdoor gear and products. It will then open to the public on June 10th for a first-of-its-kind outdoor gear festival that allows brands and retailers to engage their fans and consumers. The Big Gear Show is the only industry platform to combine the traditional industry trade show experience with a consumer expo, bringing together the gear makers and sellers with the people who use and enjoy their products outdoors. It is a truly inclusive experience for all outdoor enthusiasts, from beginners to professionals. In addition to exhibiting brands, the Big Gear Show invites retailers to exhibit during the Consumer Festival, offering a unique opportunity for specialty retailers to engage with consumers alongside exhibiting brands. Co-located with the show is the brand new E-Revolution, the first ever e-bike trade and consumer event. Featuring leading global brands in this growing market, retailers, media, and consumers learn about e-bikes from the innovators that make them and test them on a professionally designed indoor track. Maximize your show experience by attending both shows at one event. Learn more at www.thebiggearshow.com. I'll see you there. And I love how you have the the daily reminder idea. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how we might expand that daily reminder idea to help protect the places we love. As a, you know, maybe as individuals or as an industry, I don't we just Yeah, I mean, we're running I out think of places. it's an industry we are, we are, and, and, and places are getting more crowded. You yeah. know, I can remember the days when I moved here 35 years ago when I was on Teton Pass at 10 o'clock on a Saturday and there were two cars in the parking lot. <laughs> right, and, right. and now there are 400 and, and people, you know, waiting to get their next spot. Um, I, I think for us as, as brands and companies in this industry, it's really important to focus on doing the right thing. I mean, that's one of our core tenants is to do the right thing. And so, 
you know, we spend a lot of time, um, uh, we're trying to move towards, you know, a goal of, of 100% sustainable textiles at some point. We're at a, you know, we're in the, in the high 50s right now on that um, and growing every year. Um, we, we've been a climate neutral company now for our third year in a row. Nice. Congrats. Um, we spend a lot of time as a company thinking about how we can get our employees outside and you know, we have a flexible PTO policy, so we allow people to, you know, it's it's very similar to an unlimited policy where we, we encourage people to take a minimum of three weeks. And if they are doing one of those lifetime trips like the Grand Canyon or, mm-hmm. or going up, going on an expedition or doing some big travel, we we, we encourage them to do more. Um, awesome. We, we, we publish a stewardship report every year to kind of to kind of uh, acknowledge all those efforts. And we also are now uh, have launched uh, a year ago, Steo's second turn for uh, reusing lightly worn products and reselling them and giving people a discount on new stuff. And so I think for us, the, the obligation is to continue to show people um, how the outdoors can have such a uh, dramatic impact on your, your being, you know, mm-hmm. your psyche. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and your health, your wellness. And, and so we, we spend a lot of time doing that. That's fantastic. And I think you're right. We need to remind everybody every day, just even if you just go outside for a walk for 20 minutes, it's amazing how it changes your attitude, you know? It, just, it totally does. And, yeah. and you know, I frequently get locked down in the office, but I, you know, I, I mainly do my exercise in the morning, but I, you know, I do a lot of in the winter, I'll skin up snow king. You know, I do that three or four days a week. And mm-hmm. just that 45 minute, skin and a quick ski down just totally changes my attitude for the day. Um, yeah. And that could, that could be a walk or a quick mountain bike ride or a run or whatever people are doing, whatever location they're in or a paddleboard or. Yeah. Anything. But, yeah. As long as it's outside. Yeah. Got to get outside. Yeah. yeah. What outdoor activities do you participate in? You still ski a lot. sounds like. I do. I, I always have a goal to be on skis a hundred days. That's you know, nice. That sounds sounds audacious to a lot of people, but for, for me, that is a lot of that. It's just a, you know, a quick lap on the King or quick hike up glory on the pass. It's not like a, you know, full, you know, ski in the village for a whole day, but I ski a lot. Um, I mountain bike and gravel ride a lot. Um, I fly fish a ton. Um, those are my, those are my kind of big core passions in Mm -hmm. life right Mm now. Um, I can't trail run as much as I'd like anymore just because of, you know, what we were talking about before we went on the, on the cast here about the knees, like yeah, yeah. they're fine, but they're, they're fine, but they're, they are 58 years old. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I don't trail run as much as I'd like to, but I, uh, yeah, I still just try to get out and, and be outside as much as I can and try, I really do try to do something every day. I mean, I ride my electric bike to work now because the traffic in Jackson is, is almost like LA in yeah, the summertime. Imagine. And yeah. so, um, yeah. And you live in a great area for it too. You know, we're both lucky to live in areas where you can do it every day. I know. And that's, it's just such a blessing to, to be in a place where you can kind of live the mountain lifestyle as well as, you know, uh, participate in all the activities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions or advice for folks wanting to get into the outdoor business or grow their career if they're already doing something in the industry? Um, I, I love this question. I've had this one uh, very frequently. Um, and I'll be really honest with you. I think one of the best things people can do, people are always trying to 
especially kids getting out of college that just gotten a degree. They're, they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their career. They're enchanted with the outdoor industry, but, but it's a, you know, it's a big business now and it's, it's, it's a real business and, um, and you need expertise. And Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the things I think is the best thing somebody could do to get in the industry is to go work in outdoor retail. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yes. What I, I, I truly believe that, you know, it, it, it was so foundational to me um, and uh, understanding what customers are looking for, mm-hmm. understanding merchandising, um, how to represent a brand effectively to a customer, um, understanding the marketing. It, it, you, you see it all mm-hmm. in an outdoor retail store. Yeah. And, um, and, and I've also found like I, I had two, unbelievable mentors um phil Leeds and jeff crabtree when i worked at skinny skis here Mm -hmm. in jackson Mm -hmm. who who were running an outdoor retail store in in the most professional way i've ever seen um and they really were instrumental in me kind of being able to migrate over to the you know the manufacturing side and and really understanding what that customer wanted how to serve that customer and um, and how to run an effective business. And so I think it's a great place to start. And, you know, we'll get like, we get a lot of internship requests now, as you can imagine. I can and imagine. Yeah. I, I steer a lot of people to just coming out and working for our store for the summer or yeah. work for one of our stores. We have nine stores now, but wow, work for one nice. of our stores in, in other locations. And because it's a great place to kind of get the foundational pit, bits and parts of this business. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And I think if, couple of folks have said that and you know i spent a few years at a16 and you're right you just it's where the rubber meets the road and once you understand how all the stuff behind the scenes comes together when that customer's standing there asking you a question about a jacket or a pack then you understand you get a sense of how it all is important each piece of that puzzle right i think it's great preparation yeah and exactly and how that puzzle all fits together like some of my favorite customers they would walk in and they would be new to jackson and say okay I need a backpack, a sleeping bag, a pad. I need the gear to wear when I go out in the backcountry, and and you would walk them through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it it was such a great way to learn about the industry. And you know, when you get to meet sales reps, as I said, reps I come through. A, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was a buyer, so I understood like yep. how how to buy and. I think it's it was just unbelievably great for me foundationally. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, other than uh, getting your ski in every day, do you have any other routines to keep your sanity? You meditate, walk the dog, you get a lot of exercise, it sounds like. I, I mean, I would say I'd probably, my main way to keep sanity is exercising, but mm-hmm. um, I do I do, do some meditation. I've been a little spotty. I, I have a, a really good friend down in Boulder who who is super into it and very good at creating the space for it. I, I usually get to it a couple days a week. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do it every day. Um, one thing I've been really encouraging our team and that I, I play guitar. Oh, cool. um, so, but one thing I, I'm, and I'm, I'm not great. I'm a great, I'm a <laughs> solid rhythm, r- rhythm guitar player, but I, I just, just been really encouraging our, our team to, when they get out of the office to turn their screens off Yeah, and, I felt like my creativity, there was a couple of years there where I was so screen immersed at all times mm. that 
I was just losing a lot of like creativity and I wasn't finding time for the things that really made me happy um, because I was too busy scrolling Instagram and finding out all the cool stuff everybody else was doing and getting FOMO. And, uh, and so I've really, I've, I've really been concentrating on turning off my screen um, when I'm out of the office and just making headspace um, to, to do other things, cook or play guitar or, whatever that might be. Right. That's a good one. Cause it just sucks you in, you know, it's just next thing you know, hours have oh, gone by. Hours. Hours. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite books or books you give as gifts or a favorite podcast podcasts? Yeah. Um, I, um, I, uh, my favorite podcast going right now, there are two of them. Um, I love the rich roll podcast. Mm, I don't yeah. Know if you've heard that. Mm hmm. Um, I think he does a, a really good job. Um, and I've been really into Millhouse lately, which is um, Andy Mill, who uh, is a former ski racer. He used yeah. to be married to Chris Everett. A- Andy's one of the preeminent tarpon fishermen in the world. Oh, and, wow. And he lives down in the Keys most of the year now. And, and he, um, he's he got a podcast that's that's been pretty fun to listen to. He's gotten a real wide diversity of not just – you know, fishing guides and, mm-hmm. and, and fisherman, legendary fishermen, but he's also had people like Huey Lewis, who is a, um, hap- happens to be a really avid angler. And so I, I, I've gotten a kick out of that recently. Um, cool. I have a, I have a couple favorite books. I mean, probably one of my all time favorite books was the river. Why mm-hmm. by David James, James Duncan, um, really loved the book, the Emerald mile. That was which, a great uh, book. Yeah, Kevin Fedarko. I actually gave that to the entire team here. Yeah. Um, Kevin is a longtime outdoor industry writer, and mm-hmm. um, and that book is just such a phenomenal book. That was a great um, story about the whole, you know, the water and the whole thing, right? Not only the paddling part of it, but all the stuff related. That was a great book, yeah. Yeah, no, that's the thing I liked about it the most is how it interwove kind of the history. Yeah. And, um, it was almost like you, I, I don't know if you remember that book, Cadillac Desert, yep. that mm-hmm. Mark, Reason, Mark Reason wrote, which is literally the book on American water in the yep. West. Yep. Kevin kind of pulled that in with this unbelievably cool, adventurous story, right. of, you know, running the Grand Canyon, the fastest in Midori. It's just such a great book. He did a wonderful job with that. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, how about, what's your favorite piece of outdoor gear under $100? Um, I saw this question previewed on the uh, <laughs> um, on your list, and I was kind of like, "Huh, there's not a lot under a hundred bucks anymore." Um, <laughs> That's right; it's getting tough. I, I I came up with kind of a fun one. I think I think uh, I would say ski crampons. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, which I I never even heard of quite frankly, until I went over and um, I skied the Hout route uh-huh. with my college buddies a few years ago. And, you know, that was on our, our tick list. I'm like, ski crampons? I've never even <laughs> what thought about using ski crampons. But by God, did I have those things on a, a bunch of days in, on that tour. I'll bet. And I love them. Yeah. Cool. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't think anybody's said that one yet on the show. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to say or ask of our listeners? Um, I would I would just, I guess the only thing I'd say to the listeners is just, you know, support brands and products that align with your values. And, um, I, I think it's really important 
it's not just the companies like with the with all the people out there in the world the supporting your local nonprofits that mm-hmm. you know support causes that are important to you and um you know like some of the things we do here that just give me so much uh, it's just so rewarding is yeah. we're a big sponsor of the of the Doug Coombs Foundation and um POW and the Conservation Alliance and Canberra Outdoors and just I think those things are really important mm-hmm. because they help perpetuate the outdoors for, for all of us. Yep, I agree 100%. And where can people find you if they'd like to follow up? Uh, you can find Steo, um, www.steo.com, um, at Steo on Instagram. And you can find me um, at Sully, S-U-L-L-I, Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N on Instagram as well. Cool. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes. And you guys have a generous code for our listeners to take 25% off their purchase. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Everybody loves that. Awesome. And that code is OUTDOOR2023. That's O-U-T-D-O-O-R-2023. OUTDOOR2023 for 25% off your purchase. The code is good for one-time use and excludes any third-party or sale items and expires July 1, 2023. Yeah, we'll we'll share that around. Well, Sully, it's been great catching up with you. I look forward to seeing you at one of the shows one of these days. Do you guys go to the shows? Yeah, we go poke around. We we're still there for textiles. Yeah. And um and we and we go look for some third party products that we put mm-hmm. in some of our stores. And I, I've missed the last two, but I'm intending to get there this summer. So. Cool, cool, good. Well, I'll see you there. Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Outdoor Biz Podcast. Be sure to visit our website, theoutdoorbizpodcast.com, where you'll find show notes with links to everything we talked about and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or spread the word and tell a friend about the show. That would really help us out, too. Be sure to tune in every week. And thanks again for listening to the Outdoor Biz Podcast with Rick Says.